Hello, friends. Welcome to the Climbing Fierce podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping devoted Christ followers on the higher journey as they climb towards the plans, purposes, and presence of God. This podcast is built around the idea that life's not just a journey, but rather a purposeful climb to sovereign heights. I'm Hannah Schaefer, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Dr. Claudia Dempsey. We welcome you to journey alongside us as we explore common hangups, setbacks, and growth points on the journey of life, as well as some key strategies and resources so we can collaboratively climb together to reach new heights. This is Climbing Fierce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Climbing Fierce. Today, we're diving into the topic of shame, and if you've ever dealt with shame, which I think most people have to some degree, you know that shame can have a fierce grip on our lives. If you saw Brene Brown's popular TED Talk back in 2012, you might remember her describing shame as that warm feeling that washes over us, making us feel small, flawed, and never quite good enough. And that quote captures the essence of shame as a feeling of being submerged in a reservoir of judgment that engulfs us, but somehow also penetrates deeply, leaving us feeling as though we're drowning beneath the suffocating weight of something really, really heavy. Now, while we've all undoubtedly taken a stroll down the walk of shame at some point in our lives, we're talking about something more profound than those extremely embarrassing moments we all experience. Today, we want to go a bit deeper than that. However, before we do. Claudia, I thought it might be helpful if you and I demonstrate, although maybe you get to go first, uh, that this is a safe place, a judgment-free zone, if you will, where we can connect and relate and grow together. So, you know, I just thought it might be helpful if you wanted to share one of your embarrassing moments off the top of your head, uh, just to let our listeners know that embracing vulnerability is something we do here and, and it's safe to do here. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Hannah, Yeah, thank you so much. All right. So yeah, we definitely want to create a safe space. Our listeners feel that they can be vulnerable and connected. Wasn't ready for it to be at my own expense, but no, here we go. Um, Okay. Yeah, I think we've all had those seriously embarrassing moments where we just want to crawl under a rock. I remember one that comes to mind immediately was when I was invited to speak in front of a group of about 20 to 25 professionals all of whom were in positions higher than mine at my workplace. And I felt really honored by this opportunity, but I was seriously nervous. So, you know, the time for the presentation comes, things seem to be going well. I'm like almost pinching myself during this, like, okay, this is landing. Okay, this is all right. This is going well. So as we wrap up, I'm kind of like, just get it over so I can celebrate this because that went really well. And, um, you know, there's this obligatory little talking afterwards as people are milling about, but everybody leaves and my heart is about to come out of my chest. I'm like, okay, I just got to run to a bathroom, hide (laughs) myself in a little stall, breathe for a second, and I'm going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. But rather than running into the ladies room, I find myself standing in the, mm -hmm, standing in the doorway of the men's room. And I don't know if this was the only hour that this particular bathroom was open, there was a crowd, a literal crowd (laughs) standing there. And now I'm frozen, just affixed. And they're just kind of like, their eyes are locked up. My eyes are, and I'm looking around. I'm like, what is going on? I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. And I mean, I I knew I went to the right spot. I've been to this bathroom before. So why were all these men in my bathroom 
And what were all of these wall-mounted appliances (laughs) hanging on, right? What was happening here? So I finally shake myself out of this state of shock. I flee the scene, completely mortified, suddenly entertaining the idea of moving abroad. The further, the better. Um, And as I'm processing what just happened, I realized I was on the fourth floor of the building. You see, this matters a whole lot because on the third floor of the building, the men's and the women's bathrooms are in opposite locations. So while I ran into the right bathroom for the third floor, this was not the ideal choice for a woman on the fourth floor. No, who did this to you? I'm telling you, right? And, And while I can laugh now in the moment, I felt that intense burn of shame and humiliation. Because, mm. because really, what do you what do you do from there? Those are you said you some of your coworkers. You submit your two weeks notice. <laughs> you resign. Oh my gosh! Right. Oh, I am having secondhand embarrassment for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's a good one. That's a super good one. If I think of something as we go, I'll make sure to share. I've had yeah, right. Um, I have had plenty of embarrassing moments in my uh, short twenty nine years of life, but. Um, you know, we don't have time for all of that. So we're going to move on. No. Um, but truthfully, Claudia, we can all relate. We've all had those moments when something goes seriously wrong and we're just left mortified over something that we've said or done or maybe somewhere we have walked <laughs> and somewhere we found ourselves. Um, if anybody remembers a couple of years ago, the Miss America, or I think it was Miss Universe oh, pageant. yes, yes, yes. When the host announced the wrong pageant yes. winner and then had to go back on stage, correct his mistake. Oh, and you're just, bad. you crush the hopes of the newly announced winner. You, I was all bad. Oh, all and I have no idea whose fault that is, but right. at that point, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's you are you. the face of, <laughs> yes. Oh, and if you go back and watch that clip, I mean, it will make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Right. You're talk about so secondhand bad. shame, right? Mm-hmm. It, For sure. It is. Whew, it's a lot. But, you know, we do want to dig a bit deeper today beyond those one-offs, those rare times when, like you said, we want to move to a foreign country and take up some obscure career in an obscure location when, you know, ah, yes, tour boat guide in St. Thomas has never <laughs> sounded better. I've always wanted to do that. Or uh, a window washer in the skyscrapers of Tokyo. Like, yes, I'm afraid of heights, but that sounds better than staying in this staying right moment. Yes. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Just cracking up on this example. For real, that anything would have seemed better than staying in the moment of where I was. But just even though we have those moments, and I think we can all relate to those embarrassing moments, I think we could probably all relate also to that lingering sense of shame that goes a bit deeper, sure. that that feels like this weighted blanket that's just draping over our shoulders, relentlessly reminding us, you're, you're inadequate here. Something's not enough. Um, you weren't worthy enough. And it just continues to whisper that message of, you're not enough, not enough to be loved, valued, successful, included, happy, that list can go on and on. And it's just simply suffocating. And it's not just our emotions that get wrapped up. It's like this anchor that can tether our minds to these past mistakes or these even perceived shortcomings. And man, it is this weight of self-doubt that clings to us and it's so hard to break free. So, I mean, if if we even had to put like words of a, this definition and create this, you know, what is this exactly we're talking about? I'd say that shame is this complex human emotion that's marked by this overwhelming sense of disgrace, humiliation, or remorse. 
And it's tied to these sense of uh, these inadequacies where something's not lining up. I should have been more, I should have done more, I should have been received differently, but it is triggering this deep sense of humiliation. Hmm. So I want to make sure that I have our foundation straight thus far. So shame is a very deeply rooted emotion, Mm -hmm. which means we can't just think our way out of deep shame. Um, That's a huge point. Yeah. And then beyond that, it's, it's negative at its core. Like it can't be a positive thing. And so there's an imposed stigma or an incompetence or worthlessness that comes alongside Mm -hmm. with it. And then it's linked to something that we think or that we perceive does not measure up to certain standards, whether that's our standards or other standards that have been put on us. Um, but you know, it's, it's that perceived we're not measuring up to those standards. Yeah. Hannah, we could spend hours unpacking each one of those, but it really comes down to this negative sense of this evaluation I make of myself and it's just not where it needs to be. And it does, it goes so deep. This isn't just a very passing, fleeting thing. Uh, It goes so deep. It can shift this sense of identity, this belief we have, this um, idea of who we are in the world. And we just, it's as though somebody pulled back the veil and we're, we're found wanting. And because of how deep it goes, it has the capacity to threaten how we engage life, who we think we are, and just this overall sense of our well-being. Yeah. And I mean, our identity is the is so foundational to the way that we live, the way that we relate to others, yeah, the way absolutely. we live in community, um, wherever we are. And so, um, you know, if a foundation of a house or a building is shaky or it is even um, damaged in some way or compromised or if we're going the biblical route if it's built on sand Mm. if it's built on anything else than the rock which is the lord then we are in some trouble so if our identity is foundational like that and this shame is like threatening that that identity then it can be so harmful um to all of who we are, all of our lives to every yeah. avenue. No, that's exactly it. And that's why this is such a huge topic. Um, and and even just seeing in our culture, how our culture has shifted to this posture here of we name and shame like never before. It is just kind of the, the tone of where things are in society. And so between this invasive presence of social media, and we know how detrimental that can be to emotional health, um, and the fact that it just seems super trendy right now to embrace like an, an adversarial posture toward others. And then the way we look at ourselves, boy, it really, we're living in what some have called the age of shame. So it's really easy to find ourselves here. I think this is becoming more and more common for so many folks. Oh, wow. The age of shame. That is, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't right, like that right? one bit. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably important for us to acknowledge that it's not a new phenomenon, right? Like this is right. not a new tactic of the world or the enemy or, you know, whatever we want to say, but it's not new. Um, we even know that in the garden when Adam and Eve were blatantly disobedient to what the Lord had told them, it led to the realization of their nakedness and therein the birth of shame. Right. They found themselves feeling exposed and uncovered and suddenly very vulnerable. And honestly, this led them to hide away from God. Like Mm -hmm. that was their response to see uh, their nakedness. You see like that their shame really led them to just flee and hide and see if they could maybe even get away with what had happened. Right, right. 
So yeah, no, I mean, that's a huge point. So while it's on the rise, it's not new, but it's also important as significant as that is that shame is also very different from this idea of guilt. While they can be close cousins, you know, guilt is so often linked to the remorse and regret that are tied to some actions. It's the idea I've done something wrong, but shame revolves around this sense of embarrassment. And again, this negative evaluation of who I am. So it's the, uh, well, while guilt is tied to something done wrong, shame is tied to this idea that I am inherently wrong. There's mm-hmm. a huge difference. Yeah, that's, that's very helpful because we all make mistakes. We all are mm-hmm. going to do that. I've made mistakes today. I made them yesterday. I'm going to make them tomorrow. We're all going to do that. And we always seem to fall short. Shout out to Romans 3.23, of course. <laughs> all have fallen short. But when those instances are internalized and then we use them to filter and determine our worth and our value and even our potential and where we're going, that's really where shame is devastating. Yes, right. So now the hard truth is, as you said, we live in an era of name it and shame it. Uh, If that does not align with our, if something, sorry, doesn't align with our subjective view of life, then we call it wrong. We devalue it with shameful accusations. And so living in the digital age, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but in living in the digital age where everything seems to live forever, like even Mm. we talked about the video clip of the pageant, right? Yeah. Everything lives forever. You can't hide mistakes of yesterday. I see it even with my college students. Like it leads to so much anxiety, so Mm. much hesitancy to speak up and to speak your mind because if you ever change your mind, for one, it's just going to get thrown in your face. Mm. Um, And two, you know, I think it raises the overall stakes. Um, It makes you feel like you have to remain the same. And if you change on anything, even for the better, that there is never any room for grace or for um, forgiveness, or there's just no room for growth, which is so opposite of what God has for us. Like that's why we're doing the podcast. I mean, our website's literally called Growth Point Perspective. If we are not given any room to grow and improve and say, I actually don't think that anymore, um, then we are in a we're in a hard spot. So right off the bat, we know that we are walking culturally through a shame minefield, if you want to think about it like that, especially as Christians who are not going to conform to a lot of what is said, done, or believed in society. That's so true. So in my experience, it only gets worse when the external message of shame is then compounded by our own internal accusations and negative judgments, mm-hmm. because what I perceive is my reality a lot of times. So let's talk a minute about the effects of shame. Claudia, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think as you bring this up, gosh, there's so many things that come to mind as we're talking about this, but something that comes to mind immediately is how our brain processes this information. You know, according to the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine, that's quite a mouthful, but there's mm-hmm. some really smart people who provide continuing training for clinical practitioners. And what they've said is that there's two areas of the brain that are affected by shame. This, there's this front part, the prefrontal cortex, and then the rear, this posterior insula. So these two parts of the brain are significantly impacted Okay, not a brain I'm, I'm expert at here. Your face. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the prefrontal cortex, which I've heard of, and then the posterior insula. Unpack that for me. Yeah. So, okay, on the surface, I, the words don't mean a whole lot to me either. But here's what I know is when our brain evaluates a set of circumstances uh, and, and we get this sense of somehow we failed or we've fallen short 
or somehow we've we've demonstrated to ourselves or others that we're not enough. It's important to understand this is not necessarily a mean decision that is being made by some mean part of our brain. Hmm. Our brains are just processing data using a complex system of algorithms at their disposal. So in this case, this this prefrontal cortex is using information it has access to to assess and regulate what's going on right now, what's happening. And then it makes this evaluation. And it's this is part of our brain that speaks to our personality development and decision-making. And so it's looking at this information and then it makes a decision. So there's two things we have to understand here. Um, there are some very distinct beliefs. Uh, let's just call them coding algorithms, things that our brain, the way we process our frameworks, that's gonna shape how I interpret what's happening in the moment. And then second, um, is this ability when we're we're looking at um, understanding who we are that we're receiving this information that our brain is saying, this information right here, this instance, is going to speak to who you are. We almost have to be wise enough and discerning enough to say, that moment actually does not define who I am. In the flesh, that's gonna naturally, that's what our brain's gonna do. It's just gonna, like a computer, look at a situation, try to process and say, oh my gosh, you're a loser. But understanding, <laughs> So relatable. (laughs) Right. But understanding that that is our brain using what it's been given. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm told I need to look a certain way. I'm told Mm -hmm. I need to do something specific. I'm told I need to measure up in this way. And when I don't, then my brain says, oh, then you're not enough. Mm. But it's being wise enough and smart enough to say, well, this mechanism of my brain is just processing data. I now have to understand now how to filter it. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. It's so interesting to look at shame from that vantage point. I would suspect like most people that maybe to look at shame instead of being an emotional response pattern, um, but rather it being like a cognitive processing pattern. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I am, I'm just kind of sitting with that, but it suddenly seems like a very different scenario when we're looking at it from that vantage point that our brains are simply reading and responding to specific situations based on the information that they've been given to interpret and decode those situations previously. Yeah. And so I think that's a a really important point to reinforce. So shame is so often for us, it's just an emotional reactionary Mm -hmm. response. But if we can start to say, it's actually, if I understand the cognitive processing that's leading to that decision, now I know how to maybe change the framework that's mm-hmm. that's giving that machine a, a reason to say that that's bad. Right. I can then change and say that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's my humanity and that's me learning from this moment. So it's really huge. And I, I in fact, really funny. I just saw this played out literally when I was watching football this past weekend with my husband. So there's a moment <laughs> in the game when one player totally just charges another player, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, that had to hurt. He and just as he gets close to this guy. He's like coming and he's he hauls off and punches the guy. Oh gosh. Then he pushes him and I see him yelling in the face of this guy. And then he proceeds to smash his helmet into the to the the face mask of the other player. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, like this is this is a heightened moment." And what did that player do who was receiving this little beating? Well, he jumped up and down. He hugged the other player because that was his teammate <laughs> telling him he had just made an absolutely amazing play. Now, if that player who was beaten <laughs> down on this guy was wearing a different color jersey 
everything would have changed. But the filtering, so we have a set of circumstances. Guy's getting a beat down and he's <laughs> saying, man, isn't this great? A different colored shirt and he would have lost his mind, right? It's, it's all in the filtering. It's how we are giving ourselves the right information to now reframe how we're receiving what our brain is processing. Claudia, that is a incredible example. <laughs> like, right? <I'm> like, <laughs> like truly it brain tricked me. <laughs> like what game was this? I didn't hear about this. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes. Wow. That I'm just, that's a really good, that's a really great analogy. Um, I said this in the first episode way back when, but Claudia, the real star of this show, which she oh, hates, but <laughs> that's so good. So that also reminds me of this study that was done over 50 years ago by Jane Elliott um, about blue-eyed, brown-eyed study, if Mm -hmm. anybody is familiar with this. Um, But Mrs. Elliott was a devoted third grade teacher who was uh, moved by the assassination of MLK that she created a classroom experience with the hopes of teaching her children about the way our perceptions and beliefs shape how we process information. So... In her experiment, she divided the class by eye color, blue eyes or brown eyes. And there was a brown eyed group and a blue eyed group that um, as a part of the experiment, she would tell one group that they were far more superior than the other. And it was simply just because of the color of their eyes. And this group was given special treatment and even told to huddle together and avoid the other students in the other group. And what followed was really shocking. Mm -hmm. These sweet well-mannered, cooperative little children became arrogant and dismissive and judgmental, and they really just became elitist. So for those wondering, she did flip the script the next time, and uh, the second group then got to be, you know, in the the seat of prominence, right? But the fact remained that when that coding algorithm changed, their entire outlook changed, and friends that they once loved were suddenly enemies based off of eye color, which is so silly. And it reinforces this idea that the scripts that we are using to decode life truly do make all the difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I know we've touched on this even in other episodes. Uh, And I really, I've studied Jane Elliott's work, her social experiment a number of times through the years. Uh, Her intent was to teach children, you know, the evils of discrimination. But what really surfaced was also this understanding how we process, how we curate, how we respond to information in accordance with what we believe. What are those beliefs? While the same is true for this issue of shame. So while shame can sometimes really just feel like it's an emotional thing, it's just this emotional issue, it really starts when our brains interpret certain circumstances or messages in a way that says, again, we're not enough. So when a shame-imposed message or a situation is being processes, processed, our brains are not thinking, oh, I really like this information, or oh, no, I don't like, no, our brains are just looking, like you said, they're comparing it to the script, and they're responding in light of the script that's been given. And so we've now got to help make that determination of what filter are we going to use as we make these determinations. Mm-hmm. Claudia, I know this is such a silly example, um, but when I was in high school, this is my embarrassing story. (laughs) There was a guy in my history class who made fun of me after we took a test because I was breathing really heavily. And I think it was the first time someone had said Mm. like, hey, you're kind of a heavy breather. Um, And... uh, that's not a, that, Hannah, it's good. I've never noticed this about you. <laughs> well, I'm also pregnant, so I am a heavier <laughs> breather right now. 
But in the same way that that translated, like he said it in a way mm. that was condemning and he kind of like laughed at me and was like stop those breathing things, so heavy stick. They really <laughs> yeah do. and so as a 16 year old apparently that's what is mortifying it's like i'm a heavy breather <laughs> um but even now when i think about like oh gosh i've been breathing really heavy and i like catch it it's a shameful thing it's like not mm. um i need air to breathe that's like not a bad thing necessarily <laughs> right. but i've attached it with a memory that says it's a shameful mm, thing. That's a perfect so I, example. I know it's silly, but it's what it reminds me of, yeah. especially because, like I said, just heavier breathing over here <laughs> is is my life right now. So, um, so instead of shame being an emotional response to a circumstance, instead, as we've been saying, from a neurological perspective, it's more so a byproduct of the data that we've taken in, and then we process it, and then we interpret that data. And you said that there was a second part to mm -hmm. the brain. I don't yeah, know if so, you're ready to touch on that. Yeah. So when our brain makes that negative valuation, right, it looks and, and the outcome of how it's processing is negative, it, a few things happen. And we, we alluded to this earlier. Uh, we talked about something called the T-cycle, that thought, emotion, action, how there's mm -hmm. this, this link and this um, propensity to be so tied together. Um, so it means that our negative thoughts will so often fuel negative emotions, which will then in turn trigger negative actions. And so if the threat seems strong or severe enough, this may then activate our sympathetic nervous system, which literally says, you've got to fight, flight, or freeze. And so that's where mm. we see some of the response taking. So that initial part is, mm. I'm interpreting what's happening. Now the second thing is, now what am I going to do? How severe is this? Like, I wanted to leave the country. Yeah. Um, this is that, what are you going to do? So that second thing to remember is that a negative assessment is also going to impact that part of our brain that without us even thinking about is going to trigger a physiological response. Hmm. And we can get caught again in the emotion or just that reactionary tendency and so kind of with some wisdom and insight, now we can approach shame and say, all right, how do I start to unpack this? And how do I navigate this? Understanding your brain's not being bad. Your brain is just a machine doing what it's trying to do as it's mm. processing that scenario in front of you. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that understanding these processes of shame does not mean that we minimize the serious psychological and physiological responses mm -hmm. that surface yeah. with shame that you just touched on. On the contrary, we must understand that the severity of those responses as we learn to not only cope with shame, but to give our brains the right information so that sh that shaming messages uh, or those shaming messages can be properly dealt with. Yeah, I that's think. huge. Giving our brains that right information, mm -hmm. uh, but also understanding just suddenly now knowing this doesn't negate the impact of shame, what it does on one's self-esteem, how we engage things socially, that level of comfortability we have or don't have, personal confidence, on and on. But it does really now help inform how in the world am I supposed to process this? What can I do from a maturity standpoint to start to do this differently? So there's a couple steps we can take as we start to address the pervasiveness of shame. And so the first is to recognize and acknowledge that you're experiencing shame. Sometimes it's just that initial step of identifying that emotion. Like you talked about earlier in the garden, the immediate response is to hide, mm -hmm. to hide this, not talk about it. I had a girl come into my office last week. Something happened. She was caught in a situation. It was purely circumstantial. She Wrong place, wrong time. She did nothing except mm -hmm. just show up to life that day. And she was more, she was so ashamed. 
Mm. And it was helping her. I'm like, this was not on you at all. You were literally standing in the room when something unfolded. And so it's it's sometimes just even calling it what it is and knowing its tendency is going to want to make us run, want to make mm. us hide, but to start to even bring that out into the light. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that our first step is really labeling mm-hmm. correctly yeah. the issue. Um, you know, maybe even giving it a name. And it reminds me of, uh, speaking of names, I don't know if anybody has seen the the Disney Pixar movie, Luca. Well, uh, if you haven't, spoiler alert, Luca learned early on to tell Bruno in his head to uh, right. pipe down, <laughs> pipe down. In fact, uh, Luca's little mantra in the movie when this little negative voice started speaking over him is, Silencio, Bruno. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you need to name it literally and say silencio. So as silly as that may sound, you know, we we do need to tell Bruno to shut it. Or- no, that, that's a great start. And we really do. We've got to just recognize. And I think the labeling as silly as a sound, that's very helpful. We've got mm-hmm. to, whether you call it shame, whatever you're going to call it, begin to identify it. But at the same time that we're quieting Bruno, that negative voice in our heads that's speaking shameful things, we also need to simultaneously speak up an affirmation for ourselves. Now, this is not just that feel good, have some positive vibes, just nice self-affirmation. That's very nice. But your brain, my brain, our brains, they're wired to respond according to the information that they've been given to code and interpret data, like we've said. So if the message that has been spoken over your life by yourself or others has been critical, you're going to naturally be inclined to think accordingly. So finding some Mm -hmm. honest truth, some, some biblical truth that we can start to embed into our decoding processes. For example, God doesn't make mistakes. So I, if I'm a Christian walking in relationship with him, I have all I need in the moment that God, um, that, that I need to handle what God's allowing to my life. Mm. So God doesn't have, he doesn't make mistakes. I do have what I need in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be perfect. Like these are all things we can start to just feed into our minds, into our framing, um, these ideas and the way we process, mm. um, here's another one. The same God who paints the most epic sunsets is also painting the portrait of my life right? We, we need to find truths which speak to encounter the negative things we may currently believe about ourselves mm. and, and the negative self-talk that constantly, constantly playing on that reel of our mind and we have to start to replace it. Yeah, that's really good. One scripture in my own walk with the Lord that has broken cycles of shame is Romans 8.1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation mm. for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means that there is no room here for any condemnation. Like if I am in Christ, that means that condemnation is no longer a part of my story, a part of my, like I'm not even allowed to approach condemnation because Mm. of what Christ has done. Um, I've heard it said recently that, and I might have said this in a previous episode, or I've just been telling a lot of people, I can't remember which, (laughs) but you know, if Christ has sent our sins to the bottom of the seas, then he's put up a no fishing sign. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love that because we don't even know as humanity, we haven't actually explored the true depths of the sea. Like it's still a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen some of it, but we just, there's a lot that is undiscovered. But, you know, God could fish up all of our uh, sins and things that are worth, you know, condemning, but he puts up a no fishing sign. I love that. It's, That's it's just a sweet, a sweet thing. So... When that shame starts to creep in for me, I still say to myself, 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And even that, even that word now puts like a timestamp, mm-hmm. like after I became Jesus's after that, now condemnation is not allowed to be a part of my life anymore. So I hope that's helpful to somebody out there. And, um, you know, we want to transition a little bit. I know one of the hallmark responses of shame is withdrawal and isolation. Um, we see it, like we said, in the garden. And often the situation or the state of existence we're in is so embarrassing to us. We just want to retreat rather than put ourselves out there and allow others to see our pain and our frailty or our insufficiency or whatever that thing is for us. And that could play out in so many ways, whether you're a single woman who is embarrassed that she's not found somebody yet, and that causes you to just hide away because it lessens uh, your experiences of people asking like, oh, are you dating anybody? Right. Or, um, you know, some of those awkward questions or so um, awkward. Yeah. Or uh, maybe you're like a young 20 something who just hasn't found a friend group yet. And so you put up a lot of facades and hide your pain because it's just it is too painful to be real or to let others in um, because you have this shame mindset that you um, are feeling alone and unwanted and you feel ashamed about it. Yeah. Oh gosh, Hannah, as you're talking, I am painful, painfully reminded of a Sunday morning service. Now this was 20 decades ago, 20 decades, 20 decades. (laughs) You have secrets that you need to share. (laughs) Two decades, 20 years. Um, but as you're talking, I could feel the emotion of this. So I'm sitting in this service and the pastor's Mm -hmm. talking about loneliness and I was in my mid twenties. I didn't have prospects of a husband on the horizon, um, and I really didn't have a super close community. I'd moved here for grad school, and so it was a time where I was feeling lonely. It was hard, um, and so the whole message, it was really resonating. I'm like, oh, go pastor. That's so good. Yes, I'm holding on to that truth. So then this guy, who I now no longer like, he decides at the end of the message to say, listen, um, I want to invite anybody. You know that moment when they're like every head bowed, every eyes closed. You're like, no, 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 no. Do not go there. He's like, I want to ask everybody. Your heart's beating. Who has resonated with this message? If you would stand. And I'm like, no, no. Like this is, I wanted to hide this. I was so ashamed of feeling lonely. I don't know why. I was so ashamed. And I'm like, Lord, um, I love you. (laughs) I'm going to not be obedient right now. But I really wrestled in that moment. I'm like, okay, God. I want you to be bigger than my shame. So Mm. I stood up. That was massive. And then this guy, who again, I no longer like, he then says, I want to now invite all those who are standing to come to the front of the altar. Oh, no. In front of the church. I I think I may have like, (laughs) I almost died that day. Like I honestly, I was like, I can't. There's no way my feet, I'm not going to get them to move forward. Um, I, my loneliness was exposed. Yeah. And for me, this was, could it get any more embarrassing? I was just mm. mortified. So in in essence, things were now worse than before because I was still lonely, but now I was exposed. So mm. I'm lonely and now everybody knows it. Yeah. And I felt for me like I had failed. I failed because I didn't have those things that I had just moved here. Of course I couldn't have those, but I didn't have them. Mm. And oh my word, all I can remember after that was rushing to my car after that service, calling my mom in a state of absolute panic, sobbing Aww. the entire ride home. Because that veil had been pulled back and now everybody knew that what I felt was that I was alone and unwanted. Mm. Man, that was painful. Yeah. Yeah. So with that story, it makes me wonder if some people that might be listening might be wrestling with um, the difference between 
the conviction of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit and then the shame that can creep in. Because in, in that story, you were feeling like the conviction of the Holy Spirit's moving in you. You're like identifying something as maybe even being something that you're hiding away from the Lord or, you know, you're feeling shame about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it, it did it then uh, let that shame creep in because mm-hmm. it was exposed and then you did feel that shame. So um, do you have any thoughts about what the difference really could be between somebody feeling conviction or feeling shame? Yeah, well, I hadn't even thought of that. That is a really great point. I think conviction is does something, there's this sense of God drawing us closer, hmm. revealing something so he can come closer. Shame, like we've been talking about, creates this sense of hiding, Hmm. that I'm unwanted. Something is now um, found displeasing in me and I want to hide and run. So that sense of conviction, when we feel it, is so important because it really is this whispering of God saying, come closer, Hmm. allow me to work on that. Yep, Hmm. that's me putting my my finger on something in your life I want to address, but the shame is this run. Nobody could want you when you got that going on in your life. and I think that's some of the difference is shame will send us running from God's spirit and what he wants to do. Conviction can really pull us in. Mm. That's, that's a really great answer. Thank you so much for your thoughts on that. So we've talked a lot about shame in, as being the issue, but I am kind of left wondering, how do we actually find mm. victory? We've so given we do, a couple right? of things, yeah. but what can we actually do if we are finding ourselves walking in shame? A couple things to do. Like we said, one, the naming, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, identifying, realize this is our, there's not a bully in the center of our brain being mean to us. We're, the brain is just processing information based upon the script that it has to this point. So one, come into this with kindness and compassion for yourself. Uh, Make it your mission to go out of your way to just be kindness. God has made you. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. Whether something's great or something's still under construction, um, we can really just find this sense of worthiness and that we're his. Mm. I don't have to show up and be something or have it all together to be his. So uh, just that starting point. But then when we do succeed, celebrate it. Um, let it be known. But, you know, if there was that moment when we just do a mediocre job, then find the win. Like what in this was okay? What can I do? And be constructive, not like you loser. Come on, you should have you should have gotten the A plus and you only got the A minus, whatever it is. Mm. Um, and when we flat out blow it, which we are all going to do time and time and time again, be kind. I don't know if, if you've ever thought about this, Hannah, but being an advocate for yourself, a, a, an encouragement and a source of support. God has a purpose for us. Mm-hmm. And partnering with him is not beating us up along the way. It's just saying, okay, I'm clay on that wheel. I invite him to do his work and I'm going to just keep surrendering. And gosh, I, I think for anybody listening, you will be amazed at the difference it's going to make when you start to insert that positive messaging into your self-talk and your thinking. And remember, shame is the message that there's something wrong with you. So find ways to rebut that message mm-hmm. and then share your feelings. Uh, even today, I feel like I just had a little therapy moment, right? Um, shame thrives in secrecy, in secrecy and silence. So run, do not walk to a trusted friend, a colleague, therapist, pull open that veil. Now I would say, make sure it is a, it's a mature, trusted person. Don't mm-hmm. just share your dirty laundry with anybody who's available, but that trusted individual Start to, as you're able, even it's even if it's starting small, pull back that veil a little bit because um, everything you say to conceal your vulnerability 
it keeps that dungeon door closed and that terrible monster of our inadequacy all locked up. Um, and it, what happens is like, you know, that remember that revelation from the Wizard of Oz, that big, scary monster was just a small, scary little voice that was <laughs> yeah. hiding behind the curtain. We yeah. want to pull back the curtain. Yeah, that's really good. To your first point about, um, you know, kindness and compassion to yourself and trusting God in uh, your shortcomings. Next week, we're going to be talking about faith mm, and, yes. and what it means to walk in faith. And so um, we're going to unpack a lot of looking at your circumstances yeah, no, that's and and seeing beyond to what God is doing. So um, you guys can look forward to that. And then to your second point, this is something that I just uh, have seen so many times that I can't not tell you about. Um, and that is one of the most powerful tools that we have as believers is confession. It took me a long time to realize that confession is not just a weird uh, thing with a priest in like a box, <laughs> but it took me a long time to realize that confession is a part of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even beyond that, telling our stories of freedom, that is a way of confession. And so what do I really mean by that? Confession, as James 5.16 says to us, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And James there is talking about physical healing, but I think it translates to emotional, maybe psychological, like it could, it could translate to a lot of different other types of healing. And there is power in confessing out loud with words to another person, but we shouldn't just stop there. We then should confess what is true about God, what is true about the gospel and how the gospel impacts what I just confessed about my sin. took me Mm, a long time to realize there was confessions in the Christian church history Mm, that like those are confessing true things about God. So we need to confess our sins to one another um, so that we can be healed. But we also should couple that with confessing to one another than what is true, even in light, or I would, I would say like, especially in light of the sin that we just confessed. Cause if we don't confess our need for God, then we can't confess how God meets that need in the gospel Mm. through Jesus's blood. And I've seen this a lot with, um, I've worked a lot with uh, sexual integrity groups with college age students. And so the power of this has been evident in these groups because sexual sin is often something we feel immense shame about, but it's often very hidden and private. And even if it involves another person, it's something we're not going to bring up with others. Even if we're confessing sin, it's like, oh, I gossiped about this person. I overate. I disrespected my parents. I cheated on a homework assignment. But like never unless somebody says it first, are you going to say, and if you have sensitive uh, or young ears around, I just want to or I'm going to say some words that you might not want them to hear. So maybe turn it down. But what you're not going to hear until somebody else says it is I'm struggling with masturbation or I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and I just feel like I can't mm. stop. Um, and for so many, when somebody else says those words first, it's like, oh, you said it first. Now mm. I can mm-hmm. confess that this has been something I've hidden for years when it maybe it's an addiction maybe it's I am just you know generally struggling with this but um we need people to um confess their sins to us sometimes even to unlock our own um, ability to confess our sins Um, but once you do you can almost hear the chains falling from people Mm, when when that confession happens so um 
I think, you know, the power of confession, the confession of our sins and our need for the gospel and uh, the confession that 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 same blood and the love of God that as we referenced earlier, like there's now no condemnation for those that are now in Christ Jesus. So, um, as we are thinking about these shame cycles, it might not be sexual sin that, you know, we're feeling shame about, but it's important to verbalize and then to, to, um, verbalize how the gospel meets those needs. So, you know, you'll hear sometimes I'll take that grave to the, or I'll take that secret to the grave. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you, no, you're not going to live an abundant life if you if That's you right. do that. Like you're cutting yourself off at at the knees. Um, my mom, what does she always say? You're oh, this is not the most appropriate. You're peeing down your own leg. Like <laughs> like you're not doing anybody any good. But you're it's like truly at the detriment of yourself, right? I literally <laughs> we can cut that out that. if okay. we. <laughs> oh gosh, she's but funny. No, you know, good. yes. Good so message. so in. And I did say that, you know, confession, um, you know, is powerful, but then the telling of our stories of freedom, Mm. because when we then confess, like, this is the freedom I have found in Christ, um, against this thing, or this is how I've seen, uh, you just have people that flock and it's like, boom, another person confesses, boom, another, boom, another. And it starts to help others find freedom in an area that you might've been so locked up in shame that there was no way that was going to happen. Um, but now you're helping other people find freedom because you took the step to, to, to do that first. So powerful. my encouragement to you all, Claudia, do you have any closing thoughts? No, other than this, this is huge and Mm -hmm. it's the tendency. And I think maybe even the strategy of the enemy is to keep all this secret. Yeah. Uh, Don't expose this and then stay trapped. Stay Mm -hmm. in those. You talked about the chains falling. Nope. Let's keep it. Let's keep it quiet. So you live a life in in chains Mm. and we're saying no to climb higher. We want freedom from those chains. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. Uh, and I actually had this written down for our closing, Claudia, and I, I love that the spirit, you know, is united in this, but you know, we want to unashamedly without the extra weight Mm -hmm. of the shame at our ankles. Um, you know, we want to vow to believe the gospel and shake those chains of shame off so that we can go climb fierce. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast, wherever you stream your podcasts. Be sure to check out today's show notes for more resources, links, and helpful tools on today's topic. You can find these resources and more on our website at www.growthpointperspective.com. If this podcast has been at all impactful for you or someone you know, let us know, leave us a review, or send it to a friend who might need to hear about today's topics. And if you have any questions or an episode idea for us, or you want to get in contact with our team, email hello at growthpointperspective.com. Until next time, friends, go climb fierce.